Oh yeah. This is the Nomadic Auto Eclecticast. Skiddily bop bop doo. And today's episode is going to be about intuitiveness. Oh yeah. And how that relates to me being a comedian. Because today is my two year comedy anniversary. That's right. October 31st. You know, it's pretty cool, man. Just trucking along. something right now. You gotta play with the ball that makes the most noise. Please stop. Yeah, it's my comedy anniversary. It is October 31st, 2019. Uh, I be- Dude. I began my, uh, my comedy journey at a place called Centerfield Bar and Grill. It's a sports pub uh, in Huntington Beach, California off of Beach Boulevard. At that time, I was just Living five minutes away, I was working at a Domino's across the street, and that was like my local hang. Leia, Leia, stop, dude. Here, chew the bone or something, man. Here. That still is annoying, but at least it won't make that fucking noise. Anyway, as I was saying, and uh, I was working at a Domino's, and I ended up... Hold on a second. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. I had to take the ball away from her and put it up so she can't reach it. Um, so I quit Domino's because I, uh, it's a long story, but I accidentally sleeping with, I accident, accidentally ended up sleeping with one of my manager's wives. <laughs> um, she was also a manager. She had, she'd always had the hots for me and I mean, their marriage was a green card marriage, but, uh, he was still pretty upset about it. <laughs> um, what happened was I would always go hang out at Centerfield on Friday, Saturday nights and, uh, get really, really drunk because I had a crush on the bartender, Jessica there. And then, um, yeah, she would always just get me drunk. And then 
they were always short-staffed when they were busy, so I would I became such a regular that I would jump in and help out with like doing dishes or whatever it was. And then uh, eventually she offered me a job, and which was great timing because one night I'd left the bar and I'd gone across the street and I saw that the lights were still on at the Domino's that I worked at. So I went to go see who was uh, closing up, and it happened to be this lady. And she saw that I was really, really drunk, and this is where I blacked out, but I don't remember anything else until later on. But apparently what happened is she offered me a ride home, and I took it, and then I woke up next to her in my bed. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's my manager's wife, and I, yeah, I made a mistake. And then we went back to work and pretended like nothing happened, and then one day... She had like a breakdown. I, I don't know what happened. I wasn't even there. But basically, uh, yeah, she spilled the beans and it created some tension. So I quit and I went across the street and started working at the bar with Jessica and, and Kim. And uh, then there was, uh, there was a Tuesday that I worked. And I didn't know, but on Tuesdays they had the comedy open mic. And I had never known how to get into comedy. Uh, I'd always wanted to. I'd been writing jokes for maybe three or four months and just, you know, just trying to write something funny and see if I had what it takes. And I've been listening to podcasts and kind of heard about open mics, but I just didn't know about any in my area. And then, yeah, literally I ended up working a shift where there was an open mic happening. And I watched all the comics and there's people that I know today and hang out with today, uh, which is crazy. But Dave Yates was the host and he was someone who mentored me in the very beginning. I remember him seeing me watch the mics and then going like, hey man, uh, I see you watching the mics, I know you work here, have you ever wanted to do stand-up? And I said, yeah. And he said, promise me you'll come back next week and sign up. And so I promised him and I came back next week and I signed up and it was Halloween and I went up in front of two people and I bombed for two minutes and 34 seconds out of five minutes that I was given. And that's, that's how I started comedy. And when I got off stage, he was just like, look, man, that's the worst it's ever going to be. Just keep going. Uh, which is really funny because he actually just commented on the post that I made on Facebook right now. And I'll read what he said because it's actually kind of funny. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he said, hey, you haven't quit yet. And I was like, maybe next year. We'll see. And then he put like the prayer hands and he said, we can only hope. And then I was like, I'll keep you posted. Wouldn't want you to be responsible for inspiring a comic to stay with it. And he goes, I mean, it is my own fault for encouraging it. And I said, absolutely. So it's a little humor that we have um, between each other. <laughs> but yeah, that's good old Dave Yates. And he was kind of like my, uh, he, he would stay after the mics and he would talk shop with me and he would teach me everything that he knows and what he was taught when he was starting out. And uh, he really, really helped me out and... Then he showed me The Rec Room, which is a comedy club that I work at in Huntington Beach. If you guys have never heard of, of it, check it out at recroomhb.com. We have great shows anywhere from like Eric Griffin, Eliza Schlesinger, Kyle Kinane, Joey Diaz. You know, we have all the, the cool headlining acts that uh, you'd want to see in a very intimate space and uh, in Orange County. So you don't have to go all the way to L.A. to see him. But he took me there one night and I met the owner and we were hanging out in the green room because his buddy was headlining, Ken Gar, and... Um, yeah, so he when we walked out, he was just like, if you care about comedy at all, you'll get a job at this place. And then four months later, I got a job there as a server. And that's kind of how my beginning, that's where it all started, was the rec room. Uh, <clears throat> maybe about eight months in, so like four months later, I started getting guest spots there. 
and getting development spots so that way I could progress and my manager, comedian friend and uh, someone I work with creatively, Kenny Weber, uh, he, he would just put me up and he would give me the spots and I, I didn't probably deserve it, I probably wasn't good and I look back now and I can't believe that he put me on some of the shows and some of the shit that I said but hey you know what I've uh that's how I learned baby and that's how I'm here now um I'm I, I hold Rec Room completely responsible for allowing me to develop into the comedian that I am today and I'm super grateful for them uh Hunter Hill and Kenny Weber and the whole staff we actually just got voted uh OC Weekly's editor's choice best live comedy venue of 2019 so that was really cool for our little band of troubadours because the the bartenders are comics uh there's only two servers that aren't or three servers that aren't comics so like the door staff most of the servers the bartenders the manager all comedians so it's our little band of troubadours man making it happen making it work mom and pop style uh and it's really beautiful. It's a really cool thing. And we have Mixed Comedy Collective, which is uh, this podcast is a pro- uh, pr- production of and a partnership with Arts and Craft Comedy, which is my comedy brand. Um, so very cool stuff. I'm, I'm very happy to be where I'm at. Uh, you know, working two comedy clubs because I also work at, uh, at one of the improvs. And I have two podcasts. I run a biannual show, and we're trying to run a monthly show, me and my partner RJ from Arts and Craft Comedy. Uh, so just staying busy, man, moving along, working on jokes, look, working on networking with people, and making my friends progress along with me. Uh, it's all really, really cool stuff, and it's it's been a really great just journey uh, as an individual, as well as like a self-reflective process. And today's topic is uh, is this really cool clip from Alan Watts that I, I listen to from time to time where he talks about intuitiveness and trusting yourself and how he he explains it is with the analogy of the, the comedian, of a great comedian and the instincts. So I'm going to, I know I've heard some people say like, oh man, some of these clips go along, but it's, look... I want you to hear it from the horse's mouth. That's why I play these clips. I'm going to try to keep them short and simple and to the point. But I'm going to play them. And here's the first one. So once upon a time, there was a master who posed a koan to one of his... Habitually brought up not to trust your brain to find out, to get into a a pattern of trying to behave spontaneously is, of course, to run the danger of making a great fool of yourself. That, of course, is indeed what happens in a great many experiments in the arts, where people think they're going to paint spontaneously, they're going to make spontaneous noises with a musical instrument, they're going to dance spontaneously, they're going to have non-plays on the stage or happenings where uh, anything goes. Uh, By and large, these things are colossal failures uh, and are completely boring. And it's perfectly understandable why that namely, they're being done by people who don't really trust themselves and who are doing this uh, in a background of self-mistrust and uh, who have never, in other words, cultivated, because it is a kind of a discipline, to trust yourself and let it happen. But you see, when you get a great comedian working, 
you can't really train to be a great comedian. I mean, how would you go about it? Would you read all available jokes and memorize them? Would you study the great comedians of the past? Remember all their gags, gestures, expressions? The point is, if you did that, everybody would think you were corny. They would say, oh, that's just uh, Mark Twain, whatever. W.C. Fields, his gag. The whole point of a comedian is the element of surprise. So I think uh, what the modern term for that is a uh, hack. <laughs> you know, uh, if you learned everyone else's stuff and then you just kind of <laughs> emulated that. It's what we call a hack in the uh, comedy community. So that's, that was, that's, I think what he's talking about is entrusting your own intuition or like trusting yourself. Is that like artists, I mean, you become artists, I feel like, or anyone that I've met that is an artist, they already had great taste to begin with. And they kind of could hear or see in their head what they, what they wanted to see from the same thing. Like when I wrote music, I wrote music that I wanted to hear. Music that I would want to listen to if... And in the same sense as, like, I tell stories, and like, when I tell jokes, like, my, my comedy stories and stuff. I tell the... I tell this... I have a shit ton of stories, and a lot of them are mostly sad or whatever, but I tell the ones that I know that are the funniest, and they also say the most about my character. <clears throat> so there's, like, an intention there, you know? And, and the intuition is, like, that I know who I am. So when I, when I travel on these... Uh, uncertain roads or like where where I'm on a topic you know I've uh I've experienced like I've, I've had an encounter with the opposite sex and that was how I found out that I am 100% heterosexual <laughs> I, uh, I can't do the whole penis thing it's very intimidating for me um, but as a kid like I, I was confused uh, by external things, by internal things, uh, and then, so I always, like, had identified as bisexual, and then I was 21 when I was uh, approached by a another man, and uh, I didn't think that he was trying to get anything out of me, I thought he was just being friendly, and it was, um, I was at a, it was when I played in a band, and it was after one of our shows, and I was outside having a cigarette. Um, and yeah, he, he was hitting on me and stuff and I didn't really realize it. And then at one point he just goes, Hey man, I think you're cute. You want to come back to my place and have a drink? And I was like, well, you know, I've always identified as this and I've always been uncertain about it. So I guess this is my moment to figure it out. And then I, uh, I went with the guy and I went to his place and he started kissing me and you know, like there was like making out happening. I was like, uh, okay. Mm, all right, well, if I just close my eyes, maybe it feels like the same thing. And then I put my hand on his face like I would a girl. And, uh, yeah, I felt his, like, the stubble of his beard. And that was a huge just turnoff for me immediately. And immediately I uh, was like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm in trouble. Uh, I got myself into a weird situation. <clears throat> and then he, like, grabbed my dick and, you know, threw my pants and shit and realized that it wasn't hard. And he asked me if everything was okay. So I kind of, like, pushed him off when he grabbed me. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I was just like, yeah, look, man, i just never done this before. And this is my fault because I know that you know what you wanted. But uh, I've never done this and it just doesn't seem to be working, which I thought was a kind way of saying no. <laughs> I'm not down. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, so... 
that's yeah, that's how I figured out. And when I talk about it on stage, it's a very vulnerable and a, a very tender topic for some some people, especially older people, to hear some things like that. Uh, the younger generation pretty much gets it, but uh, it's still it's very interesting for them to hear it from my point of view, I guess, because I am a dude talking about an experience. So like it, it relates to guys and to girls, and the way that I've worked it out and I've I've worded it is is all inclusive as far as like the experience and the perspective of just trying to be like unbiased and see it from the male and the female point of view, uh, which has been the fun of it for me, but. Like I said, I, I had to have had trusted my own self because like if I was in any way in doubt or uncertain of the things that I was saying or going up there and I mean I've had people claim that I was lying, like have yelled it out while I'm on stage talking about that story going, hey, uh, why you got to lie, bro? And I was just like, why the fuck would I be lying about this shit? It's not even going well. <laughs> it's like I was bombing and the guy was like, ah, you're lying. And it's just like, what? I'm reliving it right now through you assholes. Like, <laughs> it's not a fun experience. It's only fun when everyone has fun with me telling that story. But when it, it when I don't do well with that one, it fucking hurts. And it's very much like bringing, it's like being in the a room with like a, a, a the glass and a bunch of people on the other side of it, and then me this weird thing that they're observing and objectifying. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a tricky one, but. I have to just trust my instincts when I go into that one. Uh, let's get a little bit further into it with another clip. Here's Alan Watts explaining a little bit more what it is to be a comedic genius. The thing that really has people laughing is what they just didn't quite expect. Now, the ability to put this over is something that you either, apparently you either have it or you don't. And uh, you also, you have to do it in a situation where you don't know what's coming up yourself. Um, you could be a comedian uh, in the terms that you've got a script and you've learned your lines and the script was written by a genius and, it's, and you're a good actor and it's very funny. But if you're in a real comedian situation where people in the audience are interacting with you and uh, in other words the, the, the situation is unstructured, the real genius is the one who can pull the gags just like that as if uh, uh, indeed they are ad-libbed. Well, that man has got his genuine intelligence working for him. <clears throat> but so the, we come back to the point then that the genius is unable to say how he manages to do it. He can say, oh, well, yes, I do a lot of hard work. All geniuses do. But that's not the cause of it. It goes along with it. It's a kind of necessary accompaniment of the art rather than the cause of the art. Because um, one uses work to polish something which was a gem in the first place. It's a lot of work to get it exact melody and beauty of words. It takes hours. But you had to have something there in the first place that wasn't simply the polishing, it was the gem. So that, that the coming forth of such gems in the same way as cure for constipation is something that requires trust in one's own inherent and original intelligence. This was what the Zen master Banke calls your unborn mind. That is a way of saying the mind that you have 
that is not individualized, that is not personalized, that is not the ego. And he would say to people, when you hear something go caw, you know immediately it's a crow. When you hear something go ding, you know at once it's a bell. And when he was once heckled by one of those Nichiren priests, you know, they are very fanatical Buddhists. They run the Soka Gakkai movement. This priest said, standing right in the back of the audience, he said, I don't understand a word you're saying. Banke said, come closer and I'll explain it to you. And he moved in. He said, closer still. Still closer. The man came forward. And he got right up the platform. Banke said, how well you understand. <laughs> so in the same way, once the military man was with a Zen master, and he said to the master, I've heard this story that there was a man who kept a goose in a bottle and uh, grew so large that uh, he couldn't get it out. Now, he didn't want to hurt the goose and he didn't want to break the bottle, so how does he get it out? And the Zen master changed the subject. So uh, finally, the military man, the officer, was got up to leave. And just as he was got his hand on the screen to go out, the master said, oh, officer, and he turned and said, yes. The master said, there, it's out. Because if I say to you, hello. Or, oh, I say. You say, yes, what is it? See, you don't stop. You don't hesitate. You don't think, what mystic is up here? What could he be planning? You just respond. And the response is, in this case, perfectly appropriate. Now you could say, <clears throat> it's just habit. True. There is habit. There are responses that are conditioned, fed into people. But we saw that that doesn't work for the comedian. He needs something more than that. And you've often had the experience of finding yourself in a crisis, where you somehow managed to act intelligently, though there was no time to decide. Driving a car, something. Suddenly, your own, your own being comes to your aid. Well, that, of course, is the whole thing. But the basis of it is, realize not that this is something sort of rather heroic which one really ought to try to do as if there were some other possibility as if it would be safer not to do that as if um, we could sit back here and say oh no let's not get mixed up with that adventure let's be safe and rational and uh, believe in original sin and mistrust ourselves if we do that we are finished. We go straight by that method with the kind of technology we have. We go straight into the totalitarian state and all that goes with it. The total police state. Everything got to be controlled. Somebody's going to win at the God game. And the end of that, of course, as everybody knows, is every great totalitarian state destroys itself because it becomes too rigid and it consumes itself with its own fury and frustration. It has to take itself, its hostility out upon itself. So actually, it isn't a question that this is something that we really ought to do, or that to have faith in oneself is something virtuous, or something, you know, like psychologically integrated, and you hope you can be more psychologically integrated than the other people. It isn't like that at all. It's something that you really cannot avoid. That uh, you, you, you actually, although one you know, sort of doesn't believe it, 
You do do it all the time. Only when it comes to your attention, then you think you shouldn't. But when it doesn't come to your attention, uh, you are functioning intelligently without thinking. When it does come to your attention, you say, oh, I better not do that. It's like, you know, we, we work for certain bosses, and you know one thing you mustn't do, if you could possibly get away with it, is never ask their advice. Go ahead and do your job. But if you take it to them and say, should I do it this way or that, then suddenly everything is held up while they think about it. And then they can't make up their minds. You go this way and they go that way and say, no, don't ask. Just go ahead and do it. And uh, it'll save the boss so much time and uh, it'll stop him worrying, prevent him from having ulcers. Uh, so in the same way, there are certain kind of people who want to know whether something's legal. And the best advice is usually don't ask. Because there's a saying in Zen, officially, not even a needle is permitted to pass. Unofficially, a carriage and six horses can get through. <laughs> so if, if the law is not challenged and asked to make a decision on this, um, forget it. You can probably get away with it. Realize that uh, trusting in your own organic skill and intelligence is something you can't really avoid. You can try to avoid it. You get mixed up. You get so mixed up that if you cannot, if you say, if you think, let's say, if you think you can't trust yourself, then it follows that that idea itself is untrustworthy because it's one of your ideas. If you think you can't trust your brain, how can you trust the logic which your brain makes possible? This logic is so simple, and therefore so clumsy in dealing with the subtle complexity of our world and of the field of forces in which we live. So you cannot let go, you know. Say, now I'm going to let go, see. Today I'm going to let go. See, don't do it that way. You remember that you can't hold on. That's the only way to let go. You can't hold on. There's nothing to hold on to. No one to hold it. It's all one in one system. One energy. <laughs> Cultivate 
discipline of trusting your own intellect and organic nature. Shafir once said that uh, when a comic says that you're not good yet, doesn't mean you're not funny. Just means you don't have the technical abilities. Do it right. Having some fun with it today. Yep. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so pretty much I think what he's saying here is real comedic genius comes from trusting the intuition to act without hesitation or thinking about it, but to be like fully present. I mean, you see it in like comics shutting down hecklers, you know, like they, it's like they, they like whip out a pistol and like, whoosh, you know, like it's just, I did a whip for a pistol. I said pistol and I did a whip noise. I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> Like Burr or uh, Ari Shafir, like there's there's been some really great videos of them um, just destroying people with and just going into it with like there's no way that they have they had time to think about it because it's so instant. But they know where they're coming from and and they've learned from trial and error that like usually like their guts pretty pretty on it. <laughs> and so yeah, they uh, they destroy people just using pure just gut intuition and just what is in their head in that moment and they they say it almost like a, a bow and arrow like <coughs> when it comes to hunting with a bow and arrow when you see the animal like and they see you or whatever they're about to take off like you have to be able to think about releasing the arrow while you're releasing the arrow already so I feel like that's like a similar analogy is like you have to act without thinking about acting while acting on it. It's 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 nuts. I also liked the uh, the Banke story, the Zen master one, uh, where he talks about the unborn mind. <laughs> How the guy you know is like trying to discredit. He's like trying to discredit the the Zen master and the. Goes at, you know from the very back like I don't understand what you're saying and then he goes come closer and then he comes a little bit closer he's like even more and the guy keeps going until he gets to the stage and then Bonke goes how well you understand me <laughs> <clears throat> implying that the guy could hear him the whole time like the guy could hear exactly what he was saying he was just it's it's on him you know um, which is a really way to to sum up kind of like that that intuitiveness, like the Zen master knew to do that in that moment to make a point. <laughs> and, and like Watts said too, that like in his opinion, comics need more something more than just habit, and that people often find themselves in crisis and somehow act in intelligently, even though there was no time to decide. And I mean, as comedians, like at least as for me, as a storyteller, like that's pretty much where all my good stories come from where like I just went with my gut and ended up in this situation and uh, ended up you know being what it is now um, <laughs> I 
and pretty much that's just your being coming to your aid. That's that's the the basis of it is is to realize that this is not something heroic was is what he said. You know, it's like it's not something that like you're like, oh man, I gotta I gotta learn how to do this. Like you already you already have that capability. You're just you're using your head more than you are like your your instincts. You're thinking about it. You're overthinking it. Instead of just being fully present in that moment and just going with the gut. I also think there was something important that he said about how like if people don't have the courage to be able to just use their instinct and say what they say and uh, they, they start overthinking everything and, and what it if it's going to offend people or whatever it is, like, then we slip into a totalitarian state, like a, a control state, you know, and, and, and he goes, as every great totalitarian state has, you know, reached, it, it, it destroys itself at some point because it becomes too rigid. And that I, I wholeheartedly agree with. And that's why I think it's very important, like, people like Dave Chappelle to win the Mark Twain Award for, you know, comedic geni humor, genius, or whatever it was called. But cause there was so much like controversy over Dave Chappelle and his special. I've even had arguments with other comedians about it. That's how controversial it was. And, uh, you know, they recognized him for being what he is and, and uh, to, to embrace and support that and to encourage it. And I think that's super important for the day and age that we live in. And that's kind of what Alan Watts is touching on here as well with the whole, you know, comedians and the comedic genius and using your intuitive nature in order to make the make the shots and if you listen to the <laughs> the matrix episodes that I put out before this one it's uh, similar to like what the oracle said in the second film which obviously we only did the first film but um, in the first one she said know thyself which is also parallel to this but in the second film Neo meets up with her before realizing what Agent Smith has become, and I'll probably do the second and the third film as one episode after this one, because I just rewatched those movies, and they're also very, very fucking interesting. But in the second film, he meets up with the Oracle, and uh, he's really come into himself. He's embraced his own powers, and he realizes that he is the one. Now he has some real questions to ask her. And when he sits down, she uh, she offers him a licorice, and he goes... Well, if you're the oracle, don't you know already what I'm going to say? And then she goes, wouldn't be much of an oracle if I didn't. So then he ends up taking the licorice or whatever. And she goes, you see, I thought you would have figured this out by now, but you're not here to make the choice. You've already made the choice. You're here to understand why you made it. He already made the choice to unplug, man. Now he had to understand it. So pretty much what I'm saying here is that yeah, you're, you already made the choice to be an artist, you know? Like, go with your gut. Believe in yourself. That's the only thing that kept Neo from being the one in the very first film is the fact that he didn't believe in himself. And then once he realized he had the ability to do it and that that's when he overcame all the obstacles. That was the seizing of the sword and the hero myth as far as the monomyth theory goes. Is that that was the moment where he was able to transcend the barriers of what everyone had conceived as possible. Making him a hero. You know? Um, and that's why we look up to certain comics. Like I look up to Burr, Segura, Rogan, uh, Bill Hicks, George Carlin. It just, you know, like, 
you look up to these people because they did something that you thought was impossible to do or impossible to talk about, and that's very important. And they embraced who they were, and they were. I think Carlin was the first person to instill in my mind: you got to be a critical thinker. You got to learn to question everything. That was something that he said, and he stood behind, and that was uh, that was something that I really took to heart as well. It's like as a person, not even just as a. This was way before I was even a comedian, but as a person, it, it's very important to critically think and to be able to see it for what it is and make the choice according to what you think is right and not just supporting a system because they say that you should or whatever the reason is or if a comedian gives you advice or says something to you you shouldn't take that as like that's what I have to do you should take that information process it and then apply it to like how you feel naturally and go off of your gut let's get into a little bit more of the <clears throat> I guess how this really applies and where it's really practiced and how you can really see examples of, of the comedic genius or the intuitiveness um, is through hecklers, you know, like uh, I'm going to play some clips at the end of this to close it out of some of my favorite comics just destroying heck, like hecklers. And if you don't know what a heckler is in the comedy community or I mean generally in all types of someone speaking and on a platform, you know, and them yelling out and disturbing what you're doing, that's a heckler. Uh, the guy from Happy Gilmore that was like, hey, you jackass, that's that's a heckler, um, in a sense. But, <clears throat> yeah, they just, you know, they yell out, they want to participate, they say something stupid, and then the comedian just uses their gut intuition in that moment to quickly diffuse the situation and turn the room back over to them and to take power away from the person that is yelling out and trying to uh, distract everyone or whatever it is. Maybe they're too drunk. Maybe they just have never been to a comedy show. There's so many different reasons and factors, and as a server, I've seen it all played out in different ways. So you, it's hard to assume, but regardless, they are interrupting the show that other people paid money to see, and that's rude, you know? Um, and it takes away from the comedian who's also taken time out of years and years worth of time out of his life to perfect something and to be good at something and has traveled there often paying out of pocket you know what I mean uh, to, to get to and from gigs or whatever and just to make just to break even in life <laughs> uh, there's all these things that go into it and and so I, I'm not anywhere at that level and I'm not good at it i usually do not get heckled and most of the times when I do I try to just ignore it and persist through but there have been moments lately that uh well my hand was forced and I'll give you two examples of mine and then we'll close this out with some actual real deal comedians uh professionals that just are hilarious at destroying these fucking idiots anyway uh, first first thing that happened was I was doing this parlor show ran by Bernice Ashikian and Garrett Ulrich uh called the friend zone it's a parlor show. Look them up on Instagram. Uh, Friendzone. Yeah. Just look them up. On, uh, it's a Friendzone comedy show or f the Friendzone on uh, Instagram. <clears throat> but they have this beautiful parlor show that's in this old 1920s bank that has been turned into and rein uh, reinvented into a bar slash restaurant. But then they have the downstairs where the vault used to be is a cool 
speakeasy lounge where there's you know a place for people to go and perform art and they do this comedy show it's beautiful i i recommend you guys go um so look up that shit but i was at that show and i was performing i was doing 10 minutes on this show and uh, i do this joke about my grandfather and how um basically what happened was he he, he told me that i wasn't a man and um in my joke i'm not as divulging of the actual information but what had happened was we were going out to eat and I didn't have a job at the time I was in between jobs um and so we're on our way to eat somewhere and we're trying to decide where to go and I just pretty much he he wanted to go somewhere and I said I don't want to go to that place and he goes you don't have a job you don't have any money you're not going to be paying so your opinion doesn't matter and you're not even a real man that's what he said pretty fucking harsh but I made a joke out of it where I just pretty much say where like, you know, I mean, my, last time I saw my grandfather, he told me that I wasn't a man. And what I had said to him was, I don't want to go to Red Lobster. And I don't know what happened, but he got really upset. And I know that their bread is good, but not worth ruining a family. And that's just my opinion. But yeah, and then I have this whole scenario blah, blah, blah. But this girl at that time where I said Red Lobster, she like muttered something out loud and it's a very intimate room. So I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you said, what was that? And she goes, well, you can't be a real man if you don't go to Red Lobster. And I was like, in that moment, I didn't know what to say because they laugh, like the crowd laughed. So now they're on her side, right? They think that she's funny and she stole that my moment and uh, pretty much the end of my punchline at the very end of this joke, which is a story. So now I have to finish it. But, um, yeah, so I just go, you know what, thank you so much for saying that because I, until this moment in my life, I never realized that I needed more people to say that to me. And that then got a laugh on my side, so I had my rebuttal. I won them back over. Sorry, I got a text message. Um, and then... Uh, I don't know. She said something like, like, mm-hmm, or whatever. She said, she, and then she's like, I'm, I'm Peruvian or I'm Colombian or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's just like a, a Latin thing. Like you just, you like to yell out during other people's things. Cause you're so passionate about what you think that you don't care about the fact that there's a show going on. And so, <laughs> you know, which I had, I don't know what her, her race had to do with it. And then I was like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm Brazilian. And so, I get it, you know, um, but let me ask you a quick question. Have you been hanging out with my grandpa? Like, what the fuck? Like, you're you're, Colo- you're, you're Colombian or, or Peruvian or whatever, and you also are like, are you like a, a cell? Did he plant you here? Be like, hey, like, I haven't gotten to say it in a couple years. Like, why don't you go down there and just yell out during his set and remind him? So it was just a weird situation, but, uh, you know, I handled it, I got it back on track, and I closed out pretty strong. And then afterwards, those ladies came up and bought me a drink and were hitting on me. So it was like a weird situation where it was like, all right, that's new for me. But uh, I drank, and then I left, because, uh, no, <laughs> you you fucking stomped on my punchline. I'm flattered, but uh, you will, no, I can't. I can't be with someone that would do that. So, sorry. Uh, sorry. What the fuck am I saying? Who cares? Uh, anyway, uh, the second thing that happened was um, I was doing a Monday night show, and there was this guy who went up before me, a comedian, and 
he's a shorter, stockier, bearded fellow with long hair. Um, and this one fella in the crowd who was drunk, and I'm pretty sure he was gay because he was low-key sexually harassing every male comic that was going up the whole time that they were on stage, right? And none of the comics up until this point had decided to say anything or to take control of the situation. The host of the show wasn't doing anything about it, just watching this kind of madness go on. So when I went up, um, they were they were chanting Jack Black at the end of his set, because that's what they were calling him. And I was like, that's fucking lame, because people always tell me I look like Adam Sandler. And I don't see it, but I get it all the time. Um... <laughs> So I go up and I was like, you know what, man, that's really fucked up because like people call me Adam Sandler all the time and I had to join a support group on Facebook for people who are Sandler lookalikes. And <laughs> the guy was like, that's not true. And I was like, take out your phone right now, bro. Look it up. And he did. And it was true. There, that's actually something that exists if you ever want to look at it. It's actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, I joined. I joined the group. I'm now part of the Adam Sandler lookalike support group. But... Um, so I went, and then, yeah, so this guy's, like, talking, and then, uh, I'm trying to set up a joke, and he just interrupts me, and I was like, alright, man, I, I see that you're not gonna let me get through any of my jokes, so if you wanna talk, and, uh, I'm not gonna be able to get my, my jokes out, then let's talk, buddy, like, what do you, what do you do? And he goes, I work at a restaurant, and I was like, oh, okay, like, uh, what, what do you do, like, what's your function in the restaurant? And he goes, I'm a server, I was like, oh, I'm also a server, and he goes, I would love to serve you. And I replied with, and I would love for you to shut the fuck up, man. Come on. And then it was silent, right? So I was like, uh-oh, now I've made myself the enemy because I told this guy to shut the fuck up. And then I looked at everyone as like a, I did like just a, a pan and I was like, what, am I the bad guy now? Like, did you guys pay to come to a show to have this guy interrupt every single comedian and not let you guys have a good time? And to, you know, like, oh, I only waited an hour to get up. I only drove here. It only took me 45 minutes to get here. I only paid gas money. I, you know, this isn't a paid gig for me. All I get is fucking five minutes. You know? Am I, am I the fucking bad guy here? I'm sorry. Does that make me the bad guy? And then they clapped. And I was like, so do you guys want to hear jokes? Or do you want me to just, like, keep uh, just digging a hole for myself? And they were like, yeah, jokes, jokes, jokes. And then I just, instead of doing my actual material... I was like, you know, sometimes I have these useless thoughts. And I literally went through a bunch of stuff that I've written down that are pretty much just like useless, sh silly shit. For instance, uh, I was driving to the rec room and I had this, just thinking of stupid shit. What do you call a panda that's into spoken word poetry? Panda Express. So dumb. That is such a useless thing to think. You know what I'm saying? That has no value anywhere. I said that, and, it, and I got a laugh, and this one dude was laughing so hard, I was like, I can't believe you like that stupid shit. Like, that's such a useless thought. And then that got a laugh from the whole crowd. And I, literally, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just talking, and I was just going off the stuff that I had thought and, and registered in my mind as like, hey, this might be funny, but I don't think, you know, it's worth me taking time out of. Because if, like, they're going to be C-level, I'm going to be C-level, bro. And what's the, the funny thing is that I went sea level and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to have fun and I'm just going to fuck around with people and I'm going to engage with them, but I'm going to keep the control by being the one telling the jokes and it's, you know, it's, and I, and I finished it out and it's, it was great, man. Um, and it got me a guest spot tonight on a show like that, that was doing well. God damn it. That's probably the, the promoter hitting me up right now. Um. So, you know, just stuff like that, man, just going with your gut and being like, look, I am assessing the situation, I'm going to adapt to it, and then I'm going to meet them at their level and fucking play around and have fun.
uh, every time I, I tell myself that I'm getting nervous, I'm like, you silly fucking bitch. Like, I, no, go up and have fun. Just go up and have fun with people. Because if you have fun, they have fun. Even if you're, you're, you're not getting what you want out of it and you seem like you're having fun, they will have fun with you and it'll be a better experience. And it'll be better remembering you that way than you going, fuck you guys. Fuck you guys, fuck you guys, fuck you guys. Because there's some comics that after every punchline that doesn't land, they're like, oh, you know what? Fuck you guys. You guys are this crowd. And then they try to do another joke. Like, it's going to be, like, redeemed. Like, they're going to redeem themselves with all the people that they ju- he just told to fuck off or she just told to fuck off. It's crazy. But enough of me talking about it. You guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and me talking about it. I've uh, been having a lot of fun, and uh, this is this was a cool one to talk about, you know, uh, all the stuff lining up, I, I didn't even think about it when I set up the format of this episode because I set it up before I even record it by a couple of days so I can listen to all the clips and really process and think things um, for my conclusions on them before I, I put it into to wavelength and then upload it to the internet where it is a footprint forever. Um, yeah, it's it's been really cool as a comedian to progress a little bit, and I'm still such a baby in the whole thing. Like I've I've only even begun to to put my foot in the water, um, but I'm excited. I'm excited because I feel like I I have developed and progressed, and I'm on the right track, and I should I'm right where I need to be for for how much time I've been in and um, for where I want to go, and so. It's given me opportunities to do stuff like this, and it's brought me around a tribe of people that I, I really consider to be artistic, creative, um, just really, really cool fucking people. And I wish the best for every other comic. And uh, I know that people don't like each other, and it's very high school and whatnot. Whatever, bro. Even if I don't like you or... If my style of com- if if the style of comedy that you do doesn't necessarily appeal to me, I respect you for trying to be a comic and for going up every single fucking night or what, however often you go up and for trying and for telling your story and embracing who you really are and trying to communicate that to strangers. That to me is you. I, you're not my enemy. I I don't want to be en- enemies with any comics. There's no reason to. We're all in this together, and we want the same things in a different way, and we can't be greedy or judgmental, and everyone moves at a different pace and develops and gets to different places at different times, and there's no point for us to be enemies with each other. And it's taken me two years to realize that, and I've been a fucking dickhead sometimes, and there's a lot of people that I probably rubbed the wrong way, and it's going to take me a lot, of time, a lot of time to kind of uh, prove to them that I'm not... <laughs> an asshole, but I mean, that's how it is with anything, man. Everything takes time, and um, there's a natural progression of people coming in and out, like the turnover, and you see people fade off that you never thought they would, and you see people stick around that you can't believe that they're still doing it. It's it's just, it's a beautiful thing, and my intention isn't focused on making it or being in the, the top 10 comics or the the one percenters that are actually just like solely just doing stand-up and making money like that's that's in my opinion that that's a privilege and uh it's something that if people adore you and love you and appreciate what you do so much they'll put you on that level but i just want to be a successful working comedian i just want to be on the road i want to be doing clubs i want to be doing shows and podcasting and making enough from that 
that I can sustain a living off of. To me, that is being successful. And if I can, get, if I get to quit my day job as a server, or I guess not a day job, but my night job as a server, and I don't have to work for minimum wage ever again for someone else, then uh, yeah, I uh, I consider that to be successful and to be a working artist. And that's my goal. And um, anything that comes after that is absolute luxury and privilege and it would be a blessing. And uh, it wouldn't be without the support and help of other people. That's just how it is. And um, if I end up in that position, like, great. I'm all for it. If I end up with Netflix specials and, you know, being a guy at the store and doing you know, theater tours around the country. If I, if I do that, amazing, great. I, I would love to do that. But even if I am just a paid regular somewhere, I have an apartment in LA that I can feed me and my dog and take care of myself, pay off my car and be legit and do all the things that I need to do and have that stuff lined up and have just the basic necessities for myself available then I would, be, I would consider myself to be successful and happy and I could die at any moment and be at peace and just work on developing and growing as a storyteller and as an artist, as a, as a medium for the collective unconscious and you know, the unknown mind. It's, it's really cool and interesting and uh, cheers to the future. Here's some legit funny guys destroying idiot assholes and we'll see you next time thanks for tuning in to number eight number seven my bad number seven of the eclectic cast my name is Rafael de Camargo and I am the nomadic otter peace
point that somebody at the table just said, this is my cave right here. I mean, you want me to bump into some shit? I mean, I don't, I don't know what, I, what I'm going to do here to prove to you that I can't fucking see because I can't fucking see. Jesus Christ. All right, I got it. You can't see. You, you, you proved it to me. You're blind. This woman has her hand over her mouth like I made a blind. I didn't make a fucking blind. What's the best heckle that's been thrown your way? Or oh, most man. memorable? There's too many, man. Um, all right. We'll go around. We'll go around the... Uh... All right. When I was Black Room, best one I ever got, I was bombing at this place. It used to be called Mixed Nuts. It's now called the Comedy Union. And I was up there. And, dude, when I tell you five minutes of straight silence, dry mouth, nothing... <laughs> And it was the summertime when sound carries, right? And I am just going and going, and it's nothing and nothing. And then just in the middle of one of my jokes, I'm meandering in this long setup for something else that's going to bomb. Big black lady in the back, just out loud to nobody, just sort of looked around and went like, I ain't laughed yet. <laughs> and the whole place exploded laughing. And... I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know I had to address it. I kept trying to do my material, and then they were just laughing at me, trying to do my... It was fucking humiliating. Um, and then, I don't know, there's one... Uh, I'll tell you the weirdest one I got. Um, I've told this one before. One of the weirdest ones I got, I was at Dangerfields uh, doing the, the midnight show, and it was just one of those nights... Everybody was vomiting. The place was packed and nobody was laughing. I remember the guy in front of me, like, he was just bombing so bad. And he was in, on some show where he played a bartender. And he had gotten beaten up. He's like, oh, did you guys see that movie? He's trying to, you guys see this movie? Blah, 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 blah. He goes, yeah, I played the bartender. The, you know, the, the, the star of the movie beat the, you know, beat the shit out of me. You guys see that? And then some kid in the back just goes, he should have killed you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, and that guy walked past me, never even looked at me. He just, when he got off stage, he just had this flop sweat and just walked by me just going, wow. Wow. And then I went on stage immediately bombing. And there was this group of kids in the corner, these white dudes, and they were just like, just ready for a fight. They were just super fucking hot. That, that whole, my dad used to beat the shit out of me vibe. Yeah. And everything I had learned up to that point was like, Bill, don't get into it with them. I heard them talking, and I was just, don't say anything, don't say anything. And then finally, I just, it's this fucking thing when you're on stage as a comic. You think like this, and this is like some sort of like a fucking gun and bullets, but it isn't. It's just plastic shit. And I just like, I finally said, I go, hey, you know what? What's going on over there? What are you, what are you guys talking about? And blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what to say. And this guy just finally was just yelled out. You know, I had the, he goes, anything, he just yells out. He goes, anything red and on stage is a faggot. Right? And it was the most childish heckle I ever got. This is back when, like, people didn't freak out about that word. You guys were like, oh, my God, what does that say about gay people? But this was when straight people used it. It just meant you were an asshole. And uh, <laughs> so he said that. I just remembered, like, I didn't know what to do. It was just, like, it was so fucking childish. But I also knew he was going to, like, beat the shit out of me. So I just went, like, right back into my state, like, my act. Like, that's almost like a cooties joke, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
This right here, the reaction to that is why you can never leave the comedy clubs, by the way. Like, because that used to be a funny story, but now because of, like, that now gay people said what that word makes us feel like, now everybody, it, even if you say it and you say that somebody else said it to you, it becomes this weird thing of, like, well, does yeah. he advocate what he said? It just becomes all of that. It becomes, like, context and all of that shit. So, well, that's what he said. Rock Station, Rock 100.5. Hey, this is Southside Steve, and this is Southside Steve TV, and this is Bill Burr. That's your question? I'm just saying who you are. Oh, yeah, all right. I don't like you. Creep me out with that big microphone and that country western shirt. Oh, no, this isn't country western. It's like, it's hip now to wear oh, okay. this. This is my nightclub look. Yeah, okay. come on. All right. <laughs> This is, this is, I guess this is the internet, right? You just sort of just throw it out there? I just throw it out there. I figure you're a funny yeah, guy. Yeah, and I, and throw I it think, out there. I'll throw it out there, too. Well, here's the deal. Bill's a comedian. He's at the punchline. He's in town. And you're a funny guy. You've got these routines in your head. So I figure I'll toss you a mic and you go. And I'm going to do stand-up in front of nine people in a radio station? No, I'm not doing that. Well, you're taking the fun out of Southside Steve I'll take, TV. I'll take, uh, how about I give you five bucks and I want to watch you line dance and you're, I'm a racist. <laughs> I don't know how to line dance, dude. Okay. Racist cowboy boots. I, you know, I, I threw it out. You don't have any questions. What am I supposed to do? You, Are you, you a racist? Let's, let's talk about racism. Like no. This was going to be like, uh, you know. Well, what exactly is on the website? Are there like titties or something like that? Like, yeah. Oh, I'm not doing anything weird to you. Okay. Here's Larry. We're one of our hosts of the show to help out. Larry? I was trying to explain to Bill how you put the mic, uh, warn him that you're going to put the mic in his face without asking him a question. Be prepared for that. Apparently, he didn't take me seriously. Uh, I'd also like to uh, point out that I, I hope you enjoyed the technique where Steve, you begin talking, Steve takes the microphone away from you. <laughs> it's, the, it's a counterpoint. Yeah, so that's yeah, the first yeah. Move. Yeah. I'm a mic hog. But do you like my mic? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Please. Is that comfortable? Is this uncomfortable? This is, yeah, no, don't, man. Honestly. Can I, can I take the mic? Sure. Now, that's number, the number one thing you don't do. As I learned that in broadcasting never. school, you never give up the microphone. See, now I have the power. This Bob Bark really <laughs> over, overpowering. You, you know what he looks like? He looks like the first guy who gets his ass kicked in a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> no. The Brown guy behind the, uh, the the big kingpin. Why don't you handle this? <laughs> no, there you go. Mike. No, you can't. Come on, let's okay. Are you a racist? <laughs> no, I'm not a racist. <laughs> because earlier we had some racist humor on the show. I just want to know: Do you like black people? Uh, yes, I do. Well, I mean, what? Just overall? Those of color. Anyone other than white I, people? I like anybody who's not an asshole. There you have it. We can agree on that. I'm right there with you. Pick a race of people. I love Eskimos, all of them. One of them's going to be a dick, right? I feel the same way about that whole support the troops. Just all of them? Like there's not one asshole in the Air Force? Just this whole paranoia, you know? Oh, I support all of them. I don't. I support 98% of them, but the 2%, you know who you are. Okay? Get them, Bill. Get them, Bill. Right, you know? Get them, Bill. Taking all the easy things, all the fucking senator's sons who's not even showing up for the... In, uh, goddamn Coast Guard that you're in. I don't support you. There you have it. 
In those words, Bill Burr, a funny, funny man on Southside Steve All TV. Right. Can I get a yeah, come on? Uh, yeah, come on, man. It's not, this isn't redneck. This is uh, hip. This it's is, hip. It's not hip. You were, you were not hip. It's you, very you, hip. You, you it's like, so. You look like you just rented Urban Cowboy. <laughs> it's a great movie, John Travolta. See it. Southside All right. Steve TV. You got to wrap it up, man. You got you to know when to wrap it up. We got. Well,